just quick introduction if you're thinking, who is this random individual standing up here? Um, my name is Ben Scarborough. Um, <clears throat> I got a text message on Tuesday morning uh, from a good friend of mine, uh, Elder Wade Grubbs, and he said, uh, Ben, he said, what are you doing on Sunday? And I was like, well, I'm going to be at church. And he said, well, I tell you what, what if instead of sitting, you're standing? And I was like, hmm, now that's interesting, Wade. We could, we could debate that. Um, and so here I am because my job is to come here and to serve the body of Jesus Christ this morning. So what a joy it is to be with you this morning. Um, and we're going, to take, we're going to take a quick break this morning. Um, Wade is going to be uh, leading our service. He's going to be preaching for us. And so it just seemed like a good opportunity to take a quick break from Galatians just for this morning. Um, and so Wade's asked me to teach a, a different passage there. He's going to resume the fruit of the Spirit next week while Pastor Dusty is over at Countryside Teaching. So what a blessing that has been. I hope uh, some of you were able to be at the conference, the Countryside Conference this past weekend. Um, I know it was a blessing to my family and I. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer before we get started. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness, Father. As we come to your word, Father, we, we recognize um, that we are coming from many different places throughout the week. There are many things in our minds, there are many activities that are going on, and yet, Lord, we come this morning asking that you would allow us just for a brief pause to put all those things aside so that we might open our hearts to hear your word. Might your spirit enlighten our eyes that we might see what you have declared for us. Father, might it pierce our hearts, might it show us where we are deficient, might we see our sin, and might we repent and turn and walk in obedience to you this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome again to North Lake Bible Church. If this is your first time here or your first time uh, in a while, we're going to be uh, asking ourselves the same question that we ask every week, right? Because at North Lake Bible Church, we hold to a high view of God and a high view of Scripture. And what that means is that when we come to this book, we come asking the same question. We come asking, what does the Bible say? Not what do I think or what do you think or what does our culture think about it? But primarily, what does the Bible say? That is the primary question we're going to ask this morning. This morning, we're going to ask, what does the Bible say from Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20? Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. Let's go ahead and turn with me there this morning. And, and this morning, we're going to be asking um, the question, uh, what does the Bible say? You might say that there's a follow-up question to that, which is, how should we then live? which would be an appropriate question, but we always start by asking first, what does the Bible say? And we want to see what does the Bible say from Philippians 4, verses 15 through 20, and our title this morning is Giving for the Gospel. What we're going to see in this passage is Paul's expression of gratitude for the church at Philippi and how that expression of gratitude becomes for us a model for gospel-focused giving, gospel-focused giving. Before we jump into it, I just... This is a small participation activity, mainly to show how many of you are still awake and your coffee's working for you. And it is, um, so if you would oblige me, please just raise your hand if you've ever received something like an Employee of the Month Award. Ever received like an Employee of the Month Award? Okay, we've got a couple. Anyone want to volunteer for me what their Employee of the Month Award was for? Any volunteers? Performing well in your role. Excellent. All right, anyone else? Your Employee of the Month award? Adam's probably got a fantastic story. I don't know what it is, but I bet it's good. You know, I, I, I've had multiple jobs over the years, especially as I was younger like many of you. Taco shop, burger joint, convenience store, never Employee of the Month. 
I worked overnight at Walmart from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. five nights a week so I could pay my way through college, not employee of the month. By the way, wasn't the worst employee by a long stretch, but I wasn't employee of the month. But for many years now, I've been working in the, the corporate world, in the software industry specifically, and there's a concept that kind of happens there. And what happens in uh, the corporate world, and I've seen this happen and I've done it myself in teams that I have led as an engineering leader, is we have these all hands meetings, we have these team meetings, and we all get together, right? And we're all in the room, and, uh, and I'm gonna play out for you a story that was me encouraging my team. And it went like this, it's like, hey guys, this month, the value of the month went is Josh. The value of the month this month was own without ego. It was own without ego. And, and we're recognizing Josh because Josh stepped up. He demonstrated this attribute. He was receiving that reward because he identified an issue that was going on. It wasn't even his issue, but he saw an issue. He understood the issue. He spent the time to deep dive into the to understanding the root cause, trying to figure out what was going on. He worked with his partners and his teammates to drive that to resolution. I need everyone to give him a round of applause. Congratulations, Josh. He's the value of the month winner. Thank you, Joseph, being a good uh, audience participant there. But now, this is a question for the audience today. Why would we do that? Why would I do that? What's that? To motivate others, yeah. What else? To encourage Josh to keep producing? To, to Josh to keep producing? Yeah, express, appreciation. express appreciation, yeah. All, all those are good and right, right? Like, I want to recognize Josh. I want to encourage him. I want to motivate him. I could do that in a different forum. But one of the reasons why we do it in a public forum, as Miss Mary Allen so poignantly pointed out, is to motivate others. Right? We do that because what I want to do is without having to explicitly say it, I want to implicitly hold Josh up and say to everyone, look at Josh, if you want to be acknowledged, if you want to be rewarded, then go ye and do likewise. But by, by raising him up as a model, I have implicitly said, this is the kind of behavior you should be following after. For those that are joining us, we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. There's outlines in the back row. And so we do that to implicitly communicate to that audience what is expected of them and how we would like to acknowledge them and what it means for them to do well. Here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20, it's important to note there are no imperatives. There's no commands in this passage. There is no Paul saying, you do this. But what there is in this passage it goes without saying is that there is an implicitness in the way that Paul recognizes the behavior of the Philippians. See, he, he, by recognizing what the Philippian church has done, he is lifting up for them and providing for us a biblical model to follow after. Let's read together Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia... That no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek for the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God." And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches 
in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we start looking at this passage together, what we're going to see is that Paul is picking up with a theme that we see earlier in, in Philippians chapter 4. By the way, we kind of like smoke jumped into the middle of Philippians. We were in Galatians and we're kind of like parachuting in. So we don't have context. So let's get a little context real quick. Look back just a couple paragraphs. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Jump down to verse 14 right before our passage this morning. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So when we come to verse 15, we're kind of picking up this theme in Philippians chapter 4. He's saying, I'm rejoicing with you. He's saying, you have done well. And then in verse 15, there's a transition. There's a transition from the general principles that he's been stating to the specific. And we see that because Paul uses these words. He says, you yourselves also know. He's saying, we are talking about rejoicing. We're talking about you have done well. He's like, and I'm going to give you a specific example of what that looked like. If you're wondering what that looked like, here it is, because you yourselves also know, Philippians, he's going to remind them of something that they already knew, and he's going to do that for us in giving us a biblical model for gospel-focused giving. Our main idea this morning is believers support gospel proclamation for God's glory and their spiritual growth. Believers support gospel proclamation for God's glory and their spiritual growth. We're going to see that this morning in four aspects. The first aspect is in verses 15 through 17. It is this. It is the manner of the gifts. Philippians 4, 15, it is the manner of the gifts. We see this. Just going to read briefly again. It says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel. Four manners. The first manner of giving we see as demonstrated by the Philippians is this. At the first opportunity. They gave at the first opportunity. It says at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia. Now for us to understand what that means, we have to understand where in the world is Philippi. Where is this church that he's writing to? And luckily God is good to us and he gives that answer to us. We don't have to go searching very hard. It's in Acts 16.9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 12, and from there to Philippi, where the church is that we're writing to this morning, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. So Philippi is in Macedonia. So when Paul writes at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, church, you know that I was with you. I was preaching among you. I was teaching among you. I was in your midst. I was part of you as a church. We were serving together. We were doing life together as a church. And then when I went out from you, at the very first opportunity that I had a need, you were there. That is what it looks like to participate in gospel-focused giving. Paul says at the first opportunity... He says, you were quick to partner with me. The believers took that first opportunity to partner with Paul and his believers in Jesus Christ. We need to identify that opportunity to partner together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the model that God has given us here in this passage. Now, your first response to me might be like, hey, you know what, Ben? That sounds a little risky. I don't like your idea. We don't want to be hasty. We don't want to be foolish. But that's not what this passage is talking about, right? We're not talking about being foolish. We're not talking about being undiscerning. We're talking about partnering together with someone who we knew. 
Paul didn't just knock on the door and hand out a flyer and say, hey, by the way, I'm in the neighborhood. You probably haven't seen me before. I've got the ice cream truck that makes that weird noise. No, he, he's, he was there. He was among them. He was teaching the word of God with them. He was fellowshiping with them. They saw his character. And then when he went out and he had a need, they partnered together with him at the first opportunity. Now, why would they do that? Why would they, even though it was Paul, even though it was someone that they knew, why would they be so quick to partner together with him Why would they be so quick to act? I think the reason is there in the text. It's because they were doing so, manner number two, in partnership with gospel preachers. They were doing so in partnership with gospel preachers. We see that once again, verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel. Now I was thinking about this, and he says at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia. And I was thinking, well, how long was that? Is he's like, well, you know what? I was in Macedonia. I was preaching the gospel. Man, I'm going to take a few months off, take a sabbatical, go around. no. That's not who Paul was at the first preaching of the gospel. After I left Macedonia, Paul was continuing to preach the gospel. And the church at Philippi was there to help provide because they were in partnership with gospel preachers. And this is a very important distinction because we live in a day and age where there is a bazillion, quadrillion, I'm not good at counting, like 75 things that we could contribute to. You can Google top charitable sites. There's GoFundMes. There's this thing. There's apps. There's websites. There's all kinds of stuff. If you are trying to figure out how to get rid of your money, somebody will take it off your hands. Don't worry about that. If you've got extra, we can solve that problem. There's a lot of things out there that we could be given to, but Paul says we do so in partnership with gospel preachers. Now, one of the things, you know, if you don't know me very well, you may not know about me is that I have five kids. Now, in Texas, that's boring, right? But for nine years, I was in Seattle, and when everyone... Anyone met me, they're like, hey, have you met Ben? He's the guy with a ridiculous number of kids. And they'd be like, oh, what's ridiculous? I'd be like, five. And they'd be like, whoa. And it was like shock and awe because that's weird in Seattle. In Texas, it's practically boring. Like, I'm not even in like the top 10% or something. But anyway, I have five kids. And if you've ever looked at my kids with your eyeballs, the first four children look strikingly like either Angela or myself. They've got the whole genetic material thing going on, right? And... And by the way, if you went to the Countryside Conference this weekend and you got to meet my parents or Angela's parents, they both attend Countryside, um, then you would have seen that. I have a fifth child, my youngest son. My youngest son looks slightly less like me. All right? He's got some of my mannerisms. He's got some of my sinful, rebellious activities right, going on. But he doesn't look quite the same. Because more than five years ago in God's providence, he was grafted into our family tree through the process of adoption. A few years ago, my wife and I got to participate in one of the activities that our adoption agency put on, and we got to go, and it was kind of like a fundraiser activity, and we got to contribute to that activity. And for us, that was a blessed thing because this is something that we're very passionate about, not just for our son, but for everyone who goes through that process. This is something that's very important to us, and we believe that it's important to God. We believe that God has a special place in his heart for the widow and the orphan, and that we should as well. If you're wondering, go read James 127. God has a heart for the widow and the orphan. And so that we, we, we believe it's an okay thing. We believe it's a good thing for us to be able to contribute to that and to see that process go forward, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others who are going through the process of adoption. But I will tell you something right now. The most important thing for my youngest son is not that he's part of my family tree. It's part, it's that he is part of the family of Christ. And I tell you what, 
If I had to take him out of my family tree to put him into Christ, I would. So when I give my life, when I give of my resources, I start with giving for the sake of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is what my youngest son needs. That's what all of my children need. That's what your children need and your grandchildren. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we partner together, we start with the gospel of Jesus Christ every single time. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 9 that those who the Lord directed, who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel, Galatians 6, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So it's a joy to me to think about North Lake Bible Church that this church comes together to support those who spend their uh, hours throughout the week uh, preaching as their vocation. What a joy it is that we do that. By the way, look at this again real quick though. Uh, Verse 15, it says, No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. When we're in partnership with gospel preachers, it is more than just a fiscal or a financial partnership, right? This is just a business transaction, right? It's easy to boil it down to that, but that's not what Paul is talking about. In fact, we know that because this word shared has the same root word as the word commonly translated fellowship in the New Testament. That word koinos or koinonia, you guys are familiar with it. This sharing is much deeper than a uh, financial or business transaction, right? It's not like we have a checking account, a joint checking account where we both have mutual access to the same funds or the same assets. That's, it's more than that. And we know that because if you look back in Philippians, uh, maybe turn back one page or flick up, flick down, scroll left, scroll right. Philippians 1, 3, we see this. Philippians 1, 3, I thank my God all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Verse 5, in view of your participation, Different form, same root. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, what is Paul saying? Paul is rejoicing with them in chapter 1. He's thanking God for them, but for different things, right? That participation in the gospel is a slightly different form of the same word sharing back in chapter 4. So Paul is saying that from chapter 1, the very beginning, I'm rejoicing that you're participating in the gospel. All the way to chapter 4, I'm rejoicing that we're sharing together in the ministry of the gospel. That's what Paul is about. He's saying we're sharing together. The, the disciples at Philippi were just throwing money over the wall and forgetting about it. By the way, that's even easier in today's cultural age and technological age. It is so easy to just, you know, you set up your auto pay, you go click on the website, you scan a QR code. By the way, all of those things are good tools. They're good mechanisms. They're good ways to get one thing from one place to another place. But ultimately, the question is, are we partnering together for the sake of the gospel? Is your heart in it? Are you there? Are we truly partnering together with fellow believers for the sake of the gospel? So I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee, and I'm going to ask this question. What does that partnership look like? What are some ways that we can partner together for the sake of the gospel that is beyond just a business or financial transaction? Say it again. Read the word together. Evangelism. Oh, I thought it was just for those guys. Oh, gospel preaching is for all of us. Amen. Thanks, Jesse. Evangelism. What else? How do we partner together for the sake of the gospel? 
Yeah, keeping in contact with missionaries, hearing their needs, being aware of what's going on. Yes, sir. Volunteer. Volunteer. Community service, yeah. Find ways to get near people who need to hear the gospel. Amen. Praise the Lord. Prayer. All of those things. You see, this is what happens when we find ourselves partnering together with gospel preachers. We find ourselves giving manner number three as often as is necessary. As often as is necessary. You thought at the first opportunity was going to rub you wrong. As often as is necessary is about to rub us the wrong way. Right? That's what gospel giving looks like. We know this. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now if you look at the grammar of that sentence, what it's really talking about is that you gave and then you gave again. That's very important. There is one action on the part of the church at Philippi, and then there is another independent additional action. Now, we might understand how you take the first action, but how do you take the second action? And it is that you're in partnership with gospel preachers. That's how you can give as often as is necessary. Here's the deal. If you do not know what's going on, if you are not talking to them, if you are not engaging with the missionaries, if you are not praying for them, then you can't do that. If giving to you is just a business financial transaction and you are not partnering together, you cannot follow the biblical model here like the church at Philippi did. You cannot give as often as is necessary. It says they were so aware of Paul's situation that they gave once independent action and then they gave again additional action. So for fear of provoking the bear, like those that you support, would you know today if they had a need? Would you know if North Lake had a need? Would you know if Pastor Dusty had a need? Would you know if that missionary card that's taped to your refrigerator, that's been there for a while, it's starting to fade, you think you remember what those people look like, would you know if they had a need? Are you partnering together with them? That's the only way that you can give as often as is necessary. They were, the Philippian church was, but by the, and, and they're not just giving for no reason, right? The reason they were doing that is because they were convinced that they wanted the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth. And the last thing they wanted is for Paul to not be able to preach the gospel because he did not have his needs met. And that is our desire as well. And by the way, as you continue to do this, as they continue to do this, we find manner number four, that it was not by compulsion. Not by compulsion. We see that in 4.17. It says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. The fourth manner of giving for the gospel that we see as demonstrated by the Philippians was that it was not by compulsion. Paul says, not that I seek the gift You know, Paul's always a little bit hesitant that when he's praising someone, he might inadvertently appear to be encouraging, you know, eliciting that thing for his own selfish gain. By the way, you can find plenty today that will propose a gospel in exchange for money. It's all over the world. It's all over the United States. There are people that will speak the word of God. They, are, they will proclaim things in exchange for money. That is not the biblical model. The biblical model is that we partner together with Jesus Christ out of a love for him and a love for his gospel. So Paul, he says when he says, not that I speak from want, 
or I'm sorry, he says, not that I seek the gift. He's, he's trying to protect against that. We see this earlier, by the way, in Philippians 4.11, just right the paragraph prior to our passage. It says this, 4.11, it says, not that I speak from want, right? Verse 10, he said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now last you have revived your concern for me. He said, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And then he says, oh, wait a minute, not that I speak from want. The commentator Silva writes it better than I could. He says, once again, however, Paul feared that his strong commendation may be interpreted as a request for more. So just as in verse 11, he introduced an important qualification. So in verse 17, he seeks to correct any false impressions, not that I seek the gift. This time, the apostle does not dwell on the theme of true contentment. Instead, he gives a new and unexpected twist to the discussion by saying that what he is really after is the fruit that increases to your account. End quote. He says, not that I seek the gift, it's seek for the profit which increases your account. He wasn't commending them with some sort of false praise. This wasn't Paul's style. He's like, oh, oh, thank you so much. Oh, you have more. Oh, thank you. That's great. Right? No, that's not what he was doing. He was not trying to elicit more sympathy, more compassion, more gifts for them. He was truly before God trying to recognize their action. Truly thankful truly honoring them, true rejoicing, true gratitude to God. It wasn't compulsion that was leading the Philippians to give, but an obedience that resulted in growth. An obedience that resulted in growth. That's what this word profit refers to. He's a seek for the profit which increases your account. This is a growth. This is fruit bearing on a tree. Paul says, I know that when you partner together for the sake of the gospel, it produces fruit in you. And you know that because many of you have been with North Lake Bible Church since it was started just a few years ago. And there is a fruit bearing that Christ does in you as you partner together for the sake of the gospel in this church plant. You are not left unchanged. There is a profit when we partner together. There is a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is born out in your life. MacArthur says their gift brought Paul joy not because of its personal material benefit to him but because of its spiritual benefit. The principle that those who give generously will be blessed is taught repeatedly in scripture, end quote. So Paul's seeking the growth of the body of Jesus Christ. He knows that one of the ways that that growth happens is through faithful giving, just through every other exercise of Christ's commands, every other exercise of the The way that we continue to grow in our faithfulness is we continue to practice acting the way that God has gifted us. Now, what kind of gift does that? You're thinking, what kind of gift is this? What kind of gift increases to the profit of the giver? What kind of gift bears fruit in the soul of the giver? What kind of gift is acceptable to God? That brings us to aspect number two, the quality of the gifts. The quality of the gifts. We see this in verse 18. Philippians 4.15, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The first quality of the gift that we see is a sufficient supply. We see a sufficient supply. Paul says, I have received everything in full. By the way, this is a financial term. This is a financial term which means satisfied, Paid in full, done. Paul's like, you got earlier we talked about shared and giving and receiving. He said, You guys gave, I received, satisfied. The invoice is paid, the 
need is met because of God's goodness working through you, we're good. We're all good. We have what we need to serve. Paul is talking about that when they gave and he the needs were satisfied. He doesn't stop there, right? He goes on to say, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. You not only met the need of the furtherance of the gospel, you gave above that. You gave more than that. You abounded over that because you wanted to see the gospel continue to go forth. You weren't like, oh, this is the bar. Nailed it. No, you went above it. In God's goodness, you gave more than was needed. Praise be to God. One of the aspects of gospel-focused giving is that we as believers, we're meeting a need. We're meeting a true need. When we give to North Lake Bible Church or to other gospel-focused ministries, we are allowing the gospel to go forth. That is what we are giving to. He says, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. There is a sufficient supply. By the way, there's kind of a side note here that I think is interesting. He, he just says, I, I received it by way of Epaphroditus. If you're not familiar with Epaphroditus, later go back and read Philippians chapter 2. We learn a little bit about him there. But really, he is just a beloved brother, both of Paul and of the Philippians. And so in God's providence, he uses that beloved brother known to both parties to be the courier of that blessingness and that gift to Paul. And what a joy that must have been with Paul, not only to receive that gift, but undoubtedly to receive news of what God had been doing in their lives. What God had been building up in them, that fruit bearing that was happening in their lives because they were partnering together for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I've received from Epaphroditus which you have sent. He says it was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. The second quality of the gifts of the Philippians is that it was a worshipful sacrifice. It was a worshipful sacrifice. Fragrant aroma would have been a very familiar phrase to the church at the time, maybe less so to us, um, at least in the, in the context. But back then, whether you were in the Jewish tradition or any, many pagan traditions, a fragrant aroma, incense, burning, all those things was associated with acts of worship. It was acts of worship to a deity. We see this in the Bible as well, from the tabernacle to the temple of God all the way, there's these fragrant aromas. And so what Paul is saying, by the way, is he is saying that your gift is not just a business financial transaction. It is not just partnering together with Paul. It is not just of sufficient supply. It is worship to a holy, transcendent, exalted God Almighty. That is what it is. And this is so important for us to understand. It's not transaction. It would be easy for us to boil it down to that, right? It'd be easy for us to think whether I give or don't give. You know, I was trying to imagine this. Like, let's say you're going into the temple on one of those days where there's lots of sacrifices. I don't know how to define lots, but I assume it was lots, right? And there was like lots of sacrifices going on, lots of animals. There's maybe pigeons. There's these things. There's that things. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm or anything like that. I visited one once. I saw pictures, right? But like, and there is blood everywhere. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, is anyone going to notice? Is anyone going to notice? Like my little lamb, does it really matter? It would be easy for us to come to Christ and say, I don't think what I have to offer matters. 
And God says, this is not about what you think. This is about worship to a holy God. This isn't between you and me. This isn't between you and the elders of Norlake. This isn't between you and the staff. This isn't about balancing books or that missionary or whatever. This is between you and your God. Do you care enough about the gospel of Jesus Christ to say, I will partner together with whatever God has given me? And just like in every gift that God has ever given, he has given us different skills and abilities. He's given us different sized wallets. Some of them are small, some of them are big. Praise God that he looked across and he saw a widow putting in two coins and he said, she is honoring her God. When we come to give, we come because we are worshiping a holy God. It is between you and God. And God calls us to bring him something that is fragrant, something that is acceptable, something that is well-pleasing. Now I have to pause for just a moment because I think it is, it is worth pausing to, to ask a very uh, specific question, which is that do you think that it is possible to bring an offering that is not well-pleasing to God? I'm seeing a few head nods. Are those people bold enough to make a statement? Or is this just a head nod moment? Okay, so giving out of our comfort out of the, versus out of sacrifice. Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah, praise. Cain and Abel, okay. That was a statement. How do you think that they were bringing a worship, sacrifice that wasn't worshipful though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he came to God on his own terms versus he came to worship his creator. Yeah, amen. Anyone else? What is the way that we can bring to God something that is not worshipful? You said begrudging? Yeah, begrudging, like, uh, Lord, I have to, so here I am. Giving to be noticed. Ooh. I mean, good thing there's no examples in the Bible about that. Hope you're not on Team Pharisee. Um, Adam. Ooh. 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 Adam. Giving with one hand, on the other hand, disobeying. I think he just found, we found the segue. Matthew 5.23, Matthew 5.23 and verse 24. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. By the way, all of those answers are good and bad. But I think one of the most important ways is I was actually trying to, I'm a very visual person if you haven't figured that out. So I'm imagining that I'm walking up to the altar, long line of people, and I get right there, that exact moment, there's all these people watching me And I'm like, I got to leave. I got to leave. He says, leave your offering there and first go and be reconciled to your brother. By the way, Jesus is giving the positive. I'm going to give the negative spin on this for just a moment. Here's the negative of this. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, how dare you come into my sanctuary and pretend to worship me when your life doesn't reflect worship at all. How dare you think that you can procure my favor through your offerings when you are living a life that is in complete opposition to my word. There are unreconciled things in your life. There's unrepentant sin in your life. How dare you? That is, it is a grave warning. By the way, 
quick footnote, if you are here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me tell you what, you are wasting your time giving to Christ church. I will go one step further. You are in a dangerous, dangerous place because you have somehow convinced yourself that by giving to Christ church, you can satisfy the wrath of holy God and you are wrong. Scripture says Jesus alone does that. If you are here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what you need to get from this message. You need to get what we're going to talk about in just a little bit. God supplies all your needs. He supplied salvation for you through Jesus Christ. You need to understand who Jesus is. You need to put your faith and trust in him. And then you need to pick up this whole book and read it cover to cover so you can know how you can live and please the holy God. You're going to eventually get to Philippians 4 and be faced with that, right? I mean, but... You need to understand what it means to be reconciled to a holy God. We do not come here to procure God's favor through throwing money in a bucket and then going out and sinning any way we like. We come offering him because we are living a life of faith and obedience all throughout the week. And this is just another expression of that obedience, is giving for the sake of the gospel. Giving for the sake of the gospel. It is fragrant, it is acceptable, it is well-pleasing. We come to him to worship him. We come to him to meet the needs of the body. How is all of that possible? How is it possible that mere men, mere women, mere mortals, finite beings, as it were, right? How can we bring to a holy God something that is of sufficient supply, something that is worshipful to him? And that only happens one way when we recognize that God alone is the ultimate source of the gifts. That's verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. This is the source of the gifts, the ultimate source of the gifts. Just as I mentioned earlier, if you are here and you are apart from Christ, he has given you Christ first and foremost, given you of his son. But this passage also says that he supplies all of our needs. He is the source of all good things. One commentator wrote in the voice of Paul this. He says, you met my need and God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet needs. You know, some would tell us that um, there's economic things going on in the world right now. I don't know what that means. Um, I'm not an economist. I'm barely a software guy on some days. You may be thinking right now, God, I wonder if you're actually supplying my needs. You may be thinking right now, God, when I look at my situation, I don't feel right now like you're supplying all my needs. My work situation isn't the way I thought it was going to be. My relationship situation isn't the way I thought it would be. My checkbook account, it's not looking like my investments, Lord, I don't know what's going on. This is what God's word declares, and my God will supply all your needs. If you are sitting here today, and you are thinking, I wonder if God has met all your needs, he has, because he said it. I recognize that you are thinking, God, I need the faith to trust you right now. I need the faith to trust you right now. It doesn't feel that way right now, God. But let me tell you what, if there is a discrepancy in whether you think God is meeting your needs or not, 
there's only one person that's wrong, and it's not God. It's not God, right? He has said, I have met all your needs. And as much as I would jest, I do know that these are troubling times. I work in an industry right now that has laid over 50,000 tech workers in January alone. I don't think it's done. I think there are more to come. I think the securities that we have are now fading quickly and we need to put our faith and trust in the one who has said, I supply all your needs. If you're here this morning and you are in Christ, but you are struggling with this, let me encourage you, find your brother or sister after. Tell them. Say, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling right now. This is hard. I don't know that God is meeting my needs. I, I, I want to know it, but I, I don't. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're saying, God, he hasn't given me the family that I wanted. Maybe pregnancy is coming hard for you. I do not know your situation. God supplies all of your needs because he says he does. And that's hard for me too. And that's why sometimes I have to come to some of you and I say, you need to pray for me. I need your encouragement. This is what the body of Christ does. It comes to and it comes together when we recognize that God is the ultimate source of all good gifts. By the way, that's why there's no pride here, right? I don't get to come to give to God out of pride. I don't, I don't get to go to that offering box and say, Lord, get that. I think it's better than this guy. Oh, man, he's got more than me. What's no, it's God is the giver. We are just responding to him what he has first given to us. God is so gracious. I'm saying, Ben, I don't know if I can give right now. It's hard for me. So pray about it. Think about it. Counsel together with your spouse about it. If you have a joint checking account, do not do anything rashly. I would recommend that you talk to the other person that has access to that same account. Don't wake up one day and say, guess what? Remember that trip we were going to do, that thing we were going to do? Threw it all in the box. We're good. It's not a magic box. It's not a wishing well. It's how we come to worship our God. I didn't know if I was going to say this or not, but I'm going to. Maybe I get in trouble later. But uh, if you're saying, I don't know if I can give it all, I would say start with two coins. Start with two coins. Maybe that's all you can give next week. Like the widow, bring two coins. The guys that count the box are going to be frustrated with me. They're going to be like, Ben, there's so many coins in here. We've been counting coins for days. This is insane. Start with two coins. And God will strengthen your faith. By the way, listen to this. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One of the things that he doesn't say is he doesn't say out of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm a visual guy. Here comes the next visual. God, owner of everything, has a bag of everything. He reaches into his bag of everything and he gives to you out of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. By the way, when God does that, that's awesome because God has a lot in his bag of everything, the owner of everything. But he goes beyond that. He doesn't say, I gave you out of my riches. He says, I gave you according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesse nailed it on the head earlier. It would be easy to give out of our comfort, and some of us do that. A message for another day, a passage for another day, talks about that I believe one of the biblical models of giving is the bottle of first fruits that we bring to God first not last Another message, another day. God's 
as I give to you according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We should give according to what God has given to us. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Cheat on this passage for just a moment. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. By the way, the same God who gives us spiritual gifts also gives us physical gifts. He gives us everything that we need to serve him. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 11. It says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality. If you give anything, it is because God has first given to you. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Why? Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Who is glorified when we give back to him from what he has given us? Glorified. God is glorified. He's saying this, God will give you what you need. It is he who supplies. Verse 12 says this, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Back to back verses there in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, when we give, it's thanksgiving to God. It is praise to God. It is to God. He is the one who is our ultimate source, not we ourselves. God has supplied so we might give And when we come to recognize that he is the ultimate source, then we recognize our last point today, the outcome of the gifts. What are the outcome of the gifts? Philippians 4.20. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Closing, by the way, is not really just a closing just for this paragraph or just for this section. It's really for everything that has come before in this entire letter to bring us to this point. Paul is saying, for all that God has done in you as a church, to our God and Father be the glory. Amen. Let it be so. Let it be so that when God supplies to his people and his people in return supply for the ministry and they partner together for the work of the ministry, God is glorified in this. God is the ultimate source. Whether he chooses to give or not give the way that we think he should, God will supply By the way, it reminds me of Romans, right? Where Romans says, he works all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. There are days that we're wondering if God is doing everything for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. By the way, bounce around a couple verses there in Romans. If you're wondering what that is, he tells us it's being conformed to the image of his son. The good is not you getting the job you want. The good is not you getting the relationship. The good is not you getting the house that you want. The good is conforming you to the image of his son. And so here he says, I will supply all your needs in the way that I define because I'm God, not you. If you're sitting here today and you're wondering, do I have everything that I need to accomplish God's will? The answer is yes. It's yes every single time. Because the moment it is no, then you have sat in judgment on a holy God and said, have you given me everything that I need? But the answer is yes. God has given us everything that he is need to accomplish God's will, not only in what he has supplied for us, but in every other gift in every other way because he has given to us according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. A couple of closing thoughts. A couple of closing thoughts because I want to make sure that we leave here. I'm going to go back to the first one, which is that um, if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, I don't know if I am truly believing that God is the supplier of all good things today. Pray about that. Think about that. Read this verse. Meditate on this verse. Memorize this verse. Put it in your brain. Put it in your heart. Find someone that can encourage you and build you up. Pray for one another. Because I tell you what, if we miss part, there's a lot in this passage we're never going to get. 
because it starts with a true understanding of who God is. And if we have a wrong understanding of who God is, then none of his word is going to make sense to us. That's why we have a high view of God and a high view of scripture here. God gets to decide how he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do that. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, Ben, I think that I'm, I'm giving just for my own pride, pray about that. By the way, the cool thing about Matthew chapter 5, by the way, is he doesn't say run off and take your offering with you. He says, go fix your sin, go fix your issues and come back. But we're about to do communion a little bit later today. And Wade is going to remind us again that we examine ourselves so that we don't, we don't come in an unworthy manner. Now, there's a couple of ways that this can go down. I'll give three examples real quick. Option number one, you're living in unrepentant sin and you say, I'm going to take communion anyway in defiance of God telling me I need to examine myself. That's an option. I would submit to you, not a great option. I would not choose option two. All right, option two is this. You're living in unrepentant sin and God says, do not take communion in an unworthy way. You're like, cool, I'll just skip communion. Ha, gotcha, God. By the way, just a suggestion, option two, not a great option. You're living in disobedience to Christ's commands. Option number three, you come into this room and God's goodness and gift to us is that he's given us communion. We should be confessing and repenting all the time, but sometimes we don't. And we come into this room and God says, I gave you a gift. It's called communion. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves that a great God gave his son to die for you. Will you live for him? And we take that opportunity right then and there to confess and repent and to rejoice in communion with our brothers and sisters for the glory of Christ. That's what God is calling to do today. He's calling us to repent and to follow after him. By the way, I'll, I will repeat my reminder from earlier. If you are here today and you are not in Jesus Christ, offering box is closed to you. Don't even go near it. It is meaningless. And at best, all it will give you is a false sense of security that you have somehow procured favor with the holy God when he said the only way that you can satisfy my wrath for sin is through the blood of Jesus. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, find someone and say, I need to know him. I need to know Jesus Christ because this body of believers is about the furtherance of the gospel. Those that are partnering together and those that are hearing it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Father, we have thank you that you are supplying all of our needs. Father, I am confident in a room this big, that there are people here today that are struggling with that reality. They are struggling with that reality because somehow their circumstances or their situation or some other voice has told them that they do not have what they need right now and your word has declared otherwise. Might we submit ourselves to your word? Might we trust you? Might we follow you? Might we obey you this week? Father, might we take that which you have given to us and as good stewards, Use it for the furtherance of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Might your church worship you this morning in the way that they come to you to hear your word, to pray together, to sing together, to celebrate the, the ordinance of communion together. Might you be exalted and glorified in our lives. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen.